Hello, we're so glad that you joined us for this broadcast. My name is Dr. Amy Thompson, and I'm the CEO of Covenant Children's Hospital in Lubbock, Texas. Um, before we get started, I just want to remind everyone um, the information um, provided in this event is for informational purposes only. Um, for any specific medical questions that you have, please reach out to your primary health provider or other healthcare professionals. Um, so just want to make sure everybody remembers that. I'm super excited today. So I'm excited to welcome uh, Dr. Laura Johnson. And so she is a pediatric hospitalist and she is a professor at Texas Tech University Health Sciences Center. She also serves as the division chief for, for um, inpatient pediatric medicine at Texas Tech. And what I will tell you guys is the reason I'm so excited is this is the physician. I'm also a pediatric hospitalist. Um, and I will tell you, I both chose pediatrics and specifically chose pediatric hospital medicine um, as Dr. Johnson was my mentor. And so I'm so grateful that she's on today. She still is active and practicing. She still allows me to cover um, a few shifts um, every month um, as a hospitalist. So we'll be talking to you today. And um, while my primary job is CEO, um, I actually work for Dr. Johnson um, whenever I'm on um, uh, service with Texas Tech. So uh, Dr. Johnson, we're so glad that you're with us today. So thank you so much for being with us. Thanks so much for having me. Okay, awesome. Well, I just want to start off a conversation just about kids and COVID um, and kind of where we are at. We had one of these, um, you know, at the beginning of the pandemic with, you know, some folks. And so now here we are, you know, still in it. So just wanted to make sure that we follow up on some of the questions. So um, first, I've talked a little bit about you, but tell us a little bit about what you do um, at Covenant, and then just start to talk to me about, you know, what what is your intro to special precautions or different other things that are happening because of children and COVID? Sure. So as you said, I'm a pediatric hospitalist, and our hospitalist team here at Covenant Children's takes care of um, almost all of our medical inpatients, patients who come into the hospital for medical rather than surgical reasons. And then we also help um, our surgical colleagues take care of some of those patients with surgical needs. So we're intimately involved in caring for um, a lot of our patients here at Covenant Children's. Um, in terms of children and COVID, I guess I would start just everything we do in the hospital has been changed, of course, since um, the COVID pandemic began. And um, we've been working across our uh, across our region and of course within the system to make sure that the needs of children are um, first and foremost for our children's hospital in terms of continuing to provide great care for our kids while also dealing with the um, the pressures of covid so that um, you know that can range from making sure that we're providing community outreach for mm -hmm. vaccination opportunities making sure that we're providing the best care for patients who find themselves needing hospitalization because of COVID, um, providing testing in our um, outpatient sites. And then for things like scheduled surgeries or scheduled procedures, we've changed how we do so much of that in order to make sure that we're screening patients for um, possible asymptomatic COVID before they're undergoing procedures. So. I think, and as you know, Dr. Thompson is the CEO, we've changed, um, we've had to change a lot and had to modify the way we do things in order to continue to provide great care in the current environment. Yep, I agree. And I, I think we started off with 
um, you know, right or wrong. I think we kind of started off as like, oh my gosh, there's this COVID thing and it's kind of over here and we have to figure out, you know, how to care for it over here. And, and what I would tell folks is, you know, from the last time that I did this, um, COVID talk till now, um, you know, COVID is with us and um, and it has stayed with us, I think, longer than, you know, anyone probably anticipated. And so we have had to change a lot of things to just understand that COVID, like influenza, like RSV, like things for us that are just part of what it means to take care of kids, that we've had to learn how to just implement that um, into our hospital. So next question that I hear a lot of people asking are, talk to me about the difference between COVID in adults and COVID in kids. Yeah, so you brought up flu, and one of the things that's certainly true for flu is that illnesses in, in young children tend to be more severe, and we worry um, a lot about, for example, pediatric uh, flu severity. Um, we are lucky that COVID, um, from a pediatric standpoint, is, is not as severe in kids as it is in adults. So certainly we've had, um, we've cared for many children who are very sick and, and certainly there have been um, pediatric COVID deaths and, and things like that. So I don't want to minimize it at all, but it is true that, um, that in general, the symptoms are more mild and kids are more likely to have asymptomatic infections also. Um, when kids do become sick with COVID, however, they, they tend to have many of the same symptoms that we hear about for adults. So fever, headache, cough, um, respiratory concern, sore throat, uh, body aches, uh, potentially loss of taste and smell, um, all of those kinds of symptoms that we hear about with adults, they're really similar in kids. Um, and that can make it difficult too um, when you're trying to determine, say, at home or, or at school or in various community settings if a kid does have COVID because those symptoms are pretty nonspecific and can go with a whole lot of things. Um, and that's one of the reasons why testing can be really important as well um, to make sure that we're that we're finding those cases of COVID when they when they're happening. Great. Thank you. Um, I want to turn just a little bit and say, you know, we'll come back in a minute to some COVID in the hospital, you know, kind of things, which is which is what you and I do. Um, but let's turn a little bit of the focus to some of the other things that happen as a result of COVID. And so we've seen this in adult population as well. But um, and I can speak to this a little bit from the CEO perspective in terms of what we've seen in our ED, but talk to me about mental health. Like what kind of things have you seen um, and do we know as pediatricians that are happening to children in kind of that behavioral mental health space? Yeah, you know, I think that just can't be um, overemphasized, the extent to which children have, um, have had significant mental health impact. So we see it. Um, there's some reports looking at um, suicide rates. Uh, we certainly have seen it in terms of um, inpatient volumes, volumes of patients having to come into the emergency department because of mental health crises. But I, I think it's also important that, that we see it sort of, you know, throughout the community. So um, the mental health impacts have been really significant and, and that is, you know, due to a lot of different things. It's due to the fact that um, everyone's world has been turned upside down. For many of our children, they were out of a school environment for an extended period of time. 
their opportunities to engage with their friends and their peers in a normal developmental way have been really limited. Um, they may have had limitations in terms of, you know, accessing resources and getting help, something as simple as going to the school counselor when things aren't going well. All of those things have been disrupted um, because, of, uh, because of COVID and because of the pandemic. And so, you know, I, um, while I'm not a, a mental health expert, um, we certainly engage in helping to care for our children with um, with mental health needs quite a bit. And, and I think it's gonna be years before we see the, um, the resolution of the impact of the pandemic from a children's mental health standpoint. It's gonna take us quite a while to recover um, from the, the challenges that, that our children have faced. And then, you know, I think um, it's not it's not just our children it's everyone in the family so when um, when adults are sick or when um, there are economic issues that are related to the pandemic or um, or just when things are changing too much and too uncertain all of those things cause um, can cause mental health challenges for for all of us Yes, I agree with all of that. And I will say from a CEO perspective at a children's hospital, we have certainly seen the thing that Dr. Johnson talks about, which is increased number of patients coming to our ED. And um, actually, the one of the biggest things that we've seen is actually increased need for like, you know, actual placement in a behavioral health facility beyond our emergency room. So not just coming to get some treatment, maybe in the outpatient setting, which has also gone up, but even the need for those acute, you know, inpatient beds. And I talk about, um, I had a COVID senior um, is what I call them. So I had a, a son, he was a senior in um, high school, kind of that when COVID really first hit. And man, it was hard. It's, it was hard on all the kids, but I think especially what I lived through was this senior thing where they missed, you know, all of these milestones that they were supposed to have prom and, you know, I mean, just all of these things that they did graduation. I mean, all the stuff that you think about that they didn't get to do. And then really what happened is all of those COVID, fr I mean, uh, seniors turned around and became COVID freshman. And my son went away to, to college you know, for the first semester and no exaggeration at one point had spent 59 days in isolation in his room um, because of either exposure or, you know, different things. And, and what I will say is I've even lived that personally in my house. I have a younger son who's 12 and he really struggled with at-home learning. And so if, if you're out there and you're a parent, um, the thing that Dr. Johnson is talking about and what I would say is even as a parent, this is stuff that your kids, it's affecting, you know, how it is that they are interacting with stuff that has been so normal for them. So just continue to have those conversations um, and make sure that there's not intervention that we need to do. Um, I think things, most schools are at least back in some capacity, you know, in person, and hopefully they're taking precautions, but I think this is a, a real thing. Okay, we're going to switch okay. gears again. Okay. So now I'm going to go, let's go all things uh, vaccination. So this is, um, you know, I always joke, I am a, I'm a big, I should wear a t-shirt that says, you know, pro-vaccine um, in, in all things. So let's turn to some of the questions because I know there's a lot of questions about vaccination. And so my question um, is when you think about, um, you know, the Pfizer vaccine, because the Pfizer is the one that has been, you know, uh, uh, for 12 and up, um, what, what do you think it's going to mean? And when do you think we can expect even potentially a decrease on the age from 12 until lower? 
Yeah, that's that's a great question. So um, you know, Pfizer came out earlier this week, I believe, with some updated data regarding safety and efficacy in children um, 5 to 11. And so I think that has just provided even more questions about timing, about when we're going to see this vaccine authorized in those younger age groups. Um, and I, I don't know the answer to that. Certainly the fact that Pfizer released the data means that from the from their perspective, they've concluded the necessary study phase um, to bring those data to the FDA. And that's kind of where we are right now. Um, I would anticipate that that process will go fairly quickly, but I, I think what's important is, um, you know, the, the FDA will go through their process, um, and then the uh, the CDC, the Advisory Committee on Immunization Practices, will go through their process um, as they always do uh, with any vaccine. And so, while I, I think it looks like it's probably going to be authorized for younger children soon, I think we don't we don't actually know that, and we don't know exactly what that's going to look like. And and that's actually a good thing because we want these multiple layers of review and careful scientific um, assessment to be happening for our vaccines. So as hard as it is to be patient, we wanna to continue to be patient for those younger kids. But we also know for our kids 12 and up, we do have a vaccine available. Um, and we know that a lot of kids haven't been vaccinated. So I think um, you know, the most important thing we can do right now is to wait to hear from the FDA and the CDC, but to uh, make sure that everybody over 12 is getting vaccinated. Boy, yes. Now, the question that my 19-year-old uh, son asked me, um, who's now 20, but was 19 when he <laughs> asked me the question, that I think a lot of parents have this question and their kids are asking this question is, but mom or dad or whoever takes care of me, I have had COVID. And so doesn't that mean I don't have to get the vaccine? Yeah, so um, that is a commonly asked question. And the answer is not really. It doesn't mean that you shouldn't get the vaccine. So we know that having had COVID will provide some protection and absolutely provide some immunity. Um, but we still don't know how long that immunity lasts. And certainly what we've seen with the Delta wave is that there's a lot of breakthrough infection, even in people who have been vaccinated. But the more layers of protection we can have, the better. So it's absolutely recommended that even if you have COVID, certainly once you've recovered, you shouldn't get vaccinated when you're in the midst of acute COVID. But um, once you've recovered, you should be you should be vaccinated. If and this doesn't happen very often in children, but if you were treated with um, monoclonal antibodies, then there is a waiting period after that. So um, always, you know, talk to your physician or vaccine provider about. Um, about that timing, but still having had the vaccine doesn't doesn't get you out of, I mean, having had the illness doesn't get you out of getting vaccinated. I have an 11 year old who unfortunately just recently has had COVID. And that was the first question out of her mouth that surely this would mean that she would not have to get the vaccine. Of course, she's not eligible just yet, but I suspect that that will change soon. And then we'll certainly be in line for her to get her vaccine. Um, I told my son we'd talk about it on the way to get the shot, <laughs> the answer to his question. Um, right. and, and I'll just take this opportunity um, for those of you who are on the camera. You're seeing me suck on a uh, cough drop here. 
And and what I would say is I'm so shocked that I haven't um, still coughed. Um, I is, am an example of someone who had um, both um, vaccinations. So I was fully vaccinated. Um, I was one of the first people to get vaccinated at our hospital um, simply because wanting to, to show that I felt like it was safe. Um, and I got a breakthrough case of COVID um, during this Delta variant. And what I will tell you is I was sick, not sick enough, like I need to go to the hospital, but certainly like in the category of, um, you know, I, I typically don't miss a lot of days of work because of illness and things like this. And I certainly um, was was down, you know, in my house just with a lot of symptoms and have had the cough clearly that can can never go away. But I just want to take this opportunity. I know we're talking about kids, um, but Dr. Johnson just kind of brought up Delta variant and, and some breakthrough cases, and I'm an I'm an example of that. And I I um, the data right now is overwhelming that um, patients in the hospital, especially in the adult population, are unvaccinated. Um, and I've have heard you know some of these other things about well, you know, but, you know, if you're going to get it, even if you're vaccinated. And what I would say is I wasn't in the hospital and I certainly wasn't on a ventilator and, you know, things like that. So just to throw that out there and explain, you know, why I'm still second on a cough drop. Um, with, so you also are going to have some questions from parents on things like allergies. And I think that that's a legit question about immunizations that folks always have. So talk about potentially maybe allergies and should they be concerned about with that with the COVID vaccine? Yeah, you know, early on when we first started vaccinating back in December um, outside of the trial setting, uh, there, there was some concern about allergic reactions, and um, and of course we were monitoring things very carefully at that time. Um, and I think some of those initial reports and maybe media reports about some al allergic reactions probably have um, created more concern about that. But in general, we, it's really not something we need to um, we need to worry about. We still, even with the history of having food allergies or, or other sorts of allergies, we still recommend the COVID vaccine and, and the data show that it's um, still a safe thing to do. So um, certainly understand uh, that there may be concerns about allergies and certainly it's always appropriate to talk to your um, to your pediatrician or other healthcare provider uh, regarding that. But overall, the recommendation is that um, allergies are not a reason to worry or to put off the COVID vaccine. Um, now, I know you're not an OB, so you're going to love, you know, the fact that I'm going to throw an OB question. I'll add something at the end because I am the CEO of a hospital that delivers babies, so we have a lot of pregnant women. But one of the other things, and I think this is a question that folks with young girls are having, is talk to me about any of the information that has to do with COVID-19 vaccine and this fertility question. Yeah, and, you know, that's something that... Um, that a lot of people have asked and and for reasons that I'm not entirely sure that has been a concern that has been, you know, very prominent is, um, is there an impact on fertility? And so, you know, the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists and um, other related groups of specialists in fertility and in maternal and fetal medicine have all come out with a statement saying, both that the COVID vaccine should be given to women, made available to women when they're pregnant, but also that there's absolutely no evidence to suggest that there's any impact on fertility. Um, the vaccine has been given to millions and millions of people and there haven't been any reports of concerns about fertility. And then, you know, in addition, there's no, there's no real 
scientific plausibility to why, you know, to to think that there would be an impact on fertility because of the way that the that the vaccines work. So I think I know that that's a concern, and I certainly understand um, that people are always going to be concerned about possible side effects, which is understandable. But there there really is just no evidence to support a concern around fertility. And I think I agree with that. And um, we actually, I recently did a press conference here in town where that was one of the questions that was asked. And I stated a lot of the things that you said that there's a really strong statement. Like I, when, when places that are, you know, professional organizations come out with these really strong statements, like they really mean it, that there's no evidence and there's no founding um, for the concern, you know, about um, infertility. And those are, you know, for those of us in the medical community, you know, um, those are the societies that govern, you know, the kind of medicine. Um, and so, like, I have a lot of confidence in the American Academy of Pediatrics in ACOG, which is the group, you know, for OBGYNs. And so those are the groups that are coming out um, that are looking at the data, you know, that are that are making those recommendations. We have seen a lot of pregnant women who have been positive for COVID during this um, uh, pandemic. And most of those are asymptomatic. We have certainly had a few um, who we have had to transfer, you know, to adult services, you know, with um, severe, like what I call respiratory COVID. There is data to show that women who get COVID do have a higher incidence of preterm labor. Um, and so there's, and, and then for women who get sick, there's also some data to suggest that those women could actually potentially have worse you know, cases of respiratory, you know, illness. So that is some of the data, you know, that's out there when we look at this pandemic that we can, you know, kind of talk about. Okay, so I'm a mom and I'm at home and I've got young children. And and when I talk about young children, it kind of goes back to that thing that we, you know, can't really vaccinate um, less than 12. So if you're talking to a mom at home or a caregiver, a dad, anyone who's taking care, how can they best protect um, their young children and even other family members with for COVID. Yeah, it, you know, the most important thing you can do to protect your family is to make sure everyone who can get vaccinated does get vaccinated. So that that may sound simple, but that's um, a way to cocoon those people in your family who may have immunocompromise or who are too young to be eligible for the vaccine. If everyone around them is vaccinated, it makes it much harder for them to um, to catch COVID just because they have this layer of protection um, around them with those vaccinated individuals. And, um, you know, beyond that, beyond vaccinating um, everyone in the family who's eligible, the other things are, are just those straightforward, um, maybe common sense parent things that we do in terms of making sure if people are around, um, you know, if you're interacting with others in your community that that you're all sharing if anyone's sick and that you're not spending time together if someone is sick. Um, you want to make sure that you're practicing good hand washing um, and just trying to be vigilant for any sort of um, illness or, or other symptoms that might be going on. And that is how we not only prevent COVID, but that's also how we decrease transmission of other viruses like RSV. 
Yes, I agree. Um, I agree with that as well. Um, the other thing that I would say is I, I lived in a household where um, my husband is actually the first one who became symptomatic with COVID. Um, as soon as we found out that he had symptoms that could have been COVID, we even in the house, you know, we immediately separated, put in a different bedroom. I joked that I was shoving the tray of food, you know, across the floor. Um, I said we were only going to eat together if we ate outside <laughs> at these really far away, you know, tables. Um, but then when I started having symptoms, the day that I started having symptoms that ultimately would be this breakthrough case of COVID, um, we had started once my husband had this to separate all of us in the house and you know, to make sure um, that, that we were doing all of the precautions um, that we needed to, um, to do that. So if a parent is asking you, Dr. Johnson, so if I have these symptoms that you've talked about, I mean, or my kid has these symptoms, what is the very next thing that they should do? So, you know, I think it's really important, of course, um, if you're uncertain, you always want to call your doctor. So that's always the, the first step and the first answer. But it, it's also true that you may have some um, symptoms that maybe you're not concerned about the symptoms themselves. Maybe they're fairly mild, but you're worried, could this be COVID? And so, you know, every community is different, but we're lucky to have a lot of testing resources and a lot of availability of testing. There are even at-home tests that um, you can find um, available in, in many of our um, pharmacies and, and other places in your community. And one of the things that um, the federal government has done recently is tried to increase the availability and decrease the cost of some of those at-home tests as well. So there are caveats about the at-home tests and that they're not they're not perfect, they're not perfectly accurate, but um, but they may be a helpful way to have a little bit of peace of mind and get a quick answer at least um, while you maybe are waiting to get a more, um, a more definitive answer uh, with a more um, precise and more accurate uh, PCR test. Those rapid tests that, that many healthcare facilities have, but that you can also have um, some versions at home, you'll have an answer in about 15 to 20 minutes. Um, and so that can be really helpful if you're you know, trying to make a, a quick decision about whether somebody's gonna get sent to the other side of the house or um, whether somebody's going to um, you know, need, need to stop everything and get a test right away, those kinds of things. Um, but then the most accurate test, and certainly the kind of test we want to use if we're screening, meaning if we have someone who doesn't have symptoms, but we really need to know if they have COVID um, for whatever reason, before a procedure, before having a baby, um, before travel, some of those things, those are the PCR tests that are also fairly readily available. So certainly um, all of our hospitals and, and clinics in the health system should have access to those tests. Um, and it's a little bit different in each community how to how to get a test. So it's hard to give a blanket answer, but um, there are certainly online resources to help you find a test near you. Um, most of the large pharmacies also have some degree of testing availability. So um, I, sometimes I wish it were a little bit easier. I think I think I've certainly had friends and family who've had you know, have wanted a test and then have sort of stumbled with how to get one. Um, but my advice would be start with your doctor, find out if you can get a test there, but then also um, some some quick Googling may really help you find the resources where, um, where you can be tested. 
Yep, I agree. Um, and, and we struggled a little bit um, to find, you know, a, a place where I could get my son tested um, whenever, you know, we, you know, came down with the breakthrough COVID. Um, but to your point, what we did is call the call the PCP and we're able to, to, to do so. Um, we also had some other changes in the hospital just in relation, you know, to COVID. And you know this because um, we've been on service and actually um, I was on a, a few weekends ago and uh, provided coverage for the um, for the COVID um, patients um, as well as, you know, a few others. But um, it has really affected children's hospitals here lately more like it has been doing for a long time in the adult hospital. And so, I mean, I can't think of the last time that we have been where we're not worried about PICU beds. Um, a lot of these patients, for us, intermediate care and PICU, you know, are in the same place. Um, and so talk about some of your experiences just with, you know, we've talked about COVID and we've talked about, you know, some of those patients in the hospital, but what are some of the other consequences that we're seeing as a result of the large number of COVID patients that we have? Sure, you know, when, when hospitals are overwhelmed with COVID patients, um, everything, there's a lot of downstream effects. And we've talked about that, as you said, a lot in the adult space, but we are really feeling that in the children's world now, um, probably because we're having both COVID and RSV surging simultaneously, which has really had a significant impact in our region here in, here in Texas on PICU bed availability and, and children's hospital beds. That may mean that your planned surgery for your child for an orthopedic or, um, or other indication is gonna have to be delayed because there may not be enough staff to even do an outpatient surgery in some instances. That may mean that your referral for a subspecialist may be delayed. Um, and that may mean that um, you know the the care that you would otherwise be able to receive in a more in a more timely manner may have to occur in a different way, um, and it really can have a lot of trickle down impacts, even even if you don't ever have a close brush with actual COVID disease. And I think that's one of the reasons why we talk about you know this is a this is a community issue and it's a community responsibility. So we all need to be doing what we can to decrease COVID transmission to be vaccinated, to follow guidance, and try to get ahead and beyond um, this wave of COVID because it's best for everyone and everyone's health may be impacted even if it's not directly through COVID. Yep, I'm a, I'm a West Texas girl, as you know, and so we've had, you know, I have family that lives all over, you know, West Texas, and we had a family member recently that um, was having um, symptoms of a stroke, was in an outside facility, and we were unable to get them in to Lubbock, and that wasn't because, you know, people were unwilling or or those kind of things, it's because we legit did not have beds, you know, at the adult hospital, and I think the thing that's different for me in this wave of COVID with the, is that we're now feeling that in pediatrics. And so when I look at, you know, data, like the number of PICU beds available, that used to not be an issue. And now certainly, you know, those things are in. And so to your point, you just have this major, you know, trickle down effect that um, because the hospitals are so full, you know, of COVID patients that sometimes we're having to turn, you know, folks away. Knock on wood, we haven't had to do that yet in the, in the Peds hospital, um, but we certainly have had to postpone some surgeries and I always kind of make the argument in kids, there's very few surgeries that are actually elective. So, you know, we, we don't want to have to um, postpone those. 
Okay, so we have only a few minutes left, Dr. Johnson, and I want to say thank you for joining us. But I'm just going to give you the floor for the last, you know, minute or so, just to say, you know, anything that you want to. I'm going to say something first, and um, and that's because I, I hope that if you have listened in on this today. Um, please, please, please talk to providers and, and folks that are knowledgeable about the vaccine. Um, I'm, I'm a person who firmly believes in the vaccine. Um, I have this weird other part that I have a, a master's in cell biology. So I also have this, you know, I, I this mRNA technology, I think is fantastic. I think we're gonna look back on this as a, as a big, I think it's gonna have more impacts than just on you know COVID-19 um, vaccines. But if you have questions about getting the vaccine, because I agree with Dr. Johnson, that is really the best way that we're gonna protect our kids. And this was my closing statement on the press conference I did last week, is the very best way that we can protect our kids is to do the stuff we know to do you know, mask, social distance, wash your hands, all the things, but it's for all the adults and the folks that are eligible for the vaccine to get vaccinated. So with that, I'm gonna let you, Dr. Johnson, take it home and tell us anything else that's on your mind um, about COVID. Yeah, you know, I think, I would just say um, that we've seen a lot of good things for kids with this pandemic. And what I mean by that is, I'm thankful every day that this respiratory virus is not as dangerous for children as we might have predicted it would be because so many respiratory viruses are very dangerous for children, especially young children. But I also think that unfortunately that our children have really borne a lot of the impact of the pandemic. And we talked about the mental health impacts and we've talked about how things have been disrupted. And, and I think even the, um, just the amount of discord that we have in our society about um, about the pandemic and and about some of the things that we've talked about today. So I think we all need to remind ourselves that um, as a pediatrician, but I think also just as a as a member of our society, our children should come first, and we want to do everything we can to try to take care of them and keep them safe, but also keep them um, keep them happy and and healthy in all ways. I agree. Thank you so much for being with us today. I'm so grateful. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you.